Emma very kindly gave me a massage after every ride. And I must admit, that was a proper sports massage. And I'm sure that did help. Uh, yes. Did you shave your arms for this purpose? Um, <laughs> to episode 18 of Life Behind Bars. We have a different kind of episode for you this time around. It's journey themed. We touched on Andrew Patterson's The Jog Efforts on a Hand Cycle in a previous episode and he's become something of a minor celebrity since so Stephen and David caught up with him to find out how it went along with Emma Dyson of Mellow Jersey, Andrew's crew leader and generally great person. Uh, We'll also be catching up with our friend Scott Nielsen, the cycling dame, about his journey to the Tour de France. So it's going to be a sort of two-pronged episode in much the same way as a Vikings hat. <laughs> I can't believe they made me say that. So, Cornwall, which is where you started. Yes. Tell us it about was. that. Well, Cornwall, right, Land's End um, is uh, an interesting location to start, but you have to start there. We have to start before nine o'clock because... At, because at nine o'clock, they charge £10 per photo. Per person. Per person. Outrageous. Well, that's absolutely disgusting. It is. <laughs> and there's a booth there where a man actually sits and he takes and he, and he does take your money. Therefore, Emma had us up really bright and early in order to drive down from uh, Camborne, which is about three quarters of an hour away. About that, yeah. Um, and then we had to get all the bikes out and all set up by half eight in order of our photo shoot, and then we had to do a cycle ride to Bodmin. Nothing about those timings was the fact that you had to cycle 80 miles. No, Christ, yes. <laughs> it's just about the photo. <laughs> but, no, the, the actual ride was, you start off quite tough, actually, because it's a gentle ride out of Land's End, but then you're soon into climbing. And uh, you do, it is quite hilly all the way to Bodmin, actually, but it's, it isn't what I would say serious climbing it's just very undulating would you agree but that i mean that's that's that saps the legs though isn't it this is bit you know that's what it's coming for indeed the arms yeah, yeah, or the arms yes yeah. <laughs> saps the body <laughs> i'm going to go back i mean your legs probably because... weren't massively being challenged <laughs> actually no, my legs were fine actually <laughs> no no you're thinking i'm they're surprisingly good condition <laughs> <laughs> the, the, excuse me my understanding was but, it was you not weren't the only person doing it so you know some legs were sapped on the yes, on the right yes 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 team Paddison consisted of another six cyclists yes I yeah, know so we, they go there at least so 12, 12 legs were, were suffering yes <laughs> i think half the problem with devon and cornwall was not the fact that the climbs were steep but it was more that andrew has the turning circle of the qe2 on his cart as we call it so when you've got these tiny lanes where the sharp corners with blind corners and andrew just kind of sails around on the wrong side of the road uh, it's, it's really quite a hair raising experience for anyone that's behind him but uh, yeah, yes yeah. because the hedges are so high and you're in the kind of like, you know, kind of, uh, we, we call them dikes here, actually. But, you know, the, the high hedges and banks on either side, you can't see around any corner. 
Therefore, uh, the lads were getting a bit worried at one stage. They were saying, Andrew, please don't go ahead of us. You know, we'll go ahead and check there's no cars coming. We were talking on the show a couple of weeks ago about how it can be dangerous to ride with children, actually, because they're quite low. Um, and I imagine, obviously, you're, um, as much as you were sitting up, you you were still, for for anyone who hasn't seen pictures of Andrew on our Instagram feed, you're still really low to the ground and people aren't necessarily expecting to see you there. Um, so I can totally understand that that's actually a quite a dangerous situation. Did you have any um, actual close run-ins with traffic? What, down Cornwall Devon? Not well, at me. any point, really. Well, we, we, yeah, that was a, well, <laughs> well, well, we survived a, a little incident on the Kirkston Pass in the Lake District. We might want to come on that later, but yes, that was very hairy. But actual other cars, no. But then again, Emma will say, when I go around the roundabouts the wrong way, because it's easier to cut the corner than actually going around the right way, she would say I was worrying cars coming ahead, you know, when they're kind of coming towards that roundabout. I think this is the thing. He had millions. He just didn't realise. Well, <laughs> when you've got mini roundabouts, the turning circle is so tight. It's just easier to go the shortest distance. And sometimes that meant on the wrong side. Oh, but Did it ever mean over the roundabout entirely? Uh, yes. <laughs> the, mini <laughs> the mini ones, definitely, yes. Did you develop a sort of Sagan-esque bunny hop where you could, um, I imagine that's probably <laughs> something you had to practice beforehand rather, or perhaps you just got up ahead of speed and charged straight into the curb. <laughs> the thing is, it's just normal for me to do it around here anyway. Therefore, Emma was going to scream, ah, you know, what on earth are you doing? But it's kind of, oh, I always do this around roundabouts. You in know, mid-Wales. In mid-Wales. It's kind of the norm, really. But, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so Andrew, in your training, obviously, most would you say that 100 percent of your training was done out in um, what we might term fairly um, underused countryside? Yes. Okay. Uh, so, at what point then? Because let's let's bring let's start let's start at the top and sort of give this narrative a structure. So, um, obviously, your uh, entire Le jog um, was scheduled to be 12 days, and you completed it. Um, with in, in in thirteen in the end. Oh, yeah. so it was scheduled to be thirteen, was it? Yeah. Okay, so so you haven't you haven't so that you you carried it off in the end. If um, only there'd almost, been a previous interview where you could have got that information. I Stephen, seem to remember. Yeah. Well, in that interview, I thought it was twelve, but then again, I also thought it started in Devon. So um, <laughs> kind of insight. But that, that's the extra, that's the extra day, isn't it? So I can understand your mistake. Mm. Well. <laughs> Anyway, so so that so you actually achieved that um, without really ever it, without as far as Emma's kind of reports um, from the road were going, it seemed that um, you uh, were knocking off uh, knocking off the mileage each day relatively comfortably, and there was never really a point at which you you thought, oh, this could be uh, could, could go longer. So, which is in no way to to which is a testament to kind of your your stoicism, Emma certainly said at various points and I don't want to embarrass Emma but she was extremely fulsome in, in pra praise I think she said he's the most wonderful man I've ever met that's it yeah she won't say sorry Emma I completely I'm embarrassed you. taste my food I can tell you that now <laughs> but no, 
seriously, on that note, there was not a single word of complaint that came out of Andrew's mouth when, well, apart from when he was sat in soggy wet kit, but in terms of how tired he was, there wasn't a single word of complaint from day one until the final day. And, like, given, well, he was very selective about how far he'd ridden before we planned this challenge. So I found out about four days in that he'd never ridden more than 65 miles. So for someone that has never ridden 64 miles to do 13 days of 80 plus miles on the trot is absolutely incredible. And I'm glad he didn't tell me that before we went because <laughs> we would have probably planned things differently. But, uh, no, no complaints at all. Um, Andrew, was that, were you keeping shroom about that um, on purpose in, so as not to worry anyone? Uh, yes, because um, we were we were doing our training slightly different to everyone else because my cousin's husband was doing his training and and he kept saying to me, Andrew, I'm doing eighty miles, I'm doing the eighty miles, I'm doing the ninety miles. But when I'm looking at your Strava, you're only doing fifty miles, fifty five miles. You know, you are you going to do an eighty mile? And I was going, well, we're training in a slightly different way. You know, if you look at our average miles per hour. We're far higher, sort of thing, but and our climbing was kind of uh, steeper as well. Therefore, you know, we trained slightly differently, but not with the mileage, but with the climbs, and and we did more speed work, I think, as well. So my stamina was there. Uh, yes, that's actually, uh, yeah, these days actually uh, a very well accepted um, training um, approach. In fact, I remember when I first did. Um, a, a national 24 hour back in 2009 um, there wasn't such a degree of understanding of uh, how to approach those things then but the guy in charge actually I remember said to you David that um, you were asking him about training approaches and he said you're much better off you know you might be doing up to 500 miles in this 24 hours but you're much better off being able to do two hours um, a day for six days a week um, at a high speed then you are going out and doing a tw an eight hour ride or a 10 hour ride. Um, so, if, you know, consistency in, in running and cycling certainly pays off in the end. But um, um, Emma, did you did you feel immediately reassured on the first day that he kind of had it physically? Well, I'd actually been for a ride with Andrew and a couple of the team about a month beforehand. So that kind of gave me quite a lot of reassurance that, you know, they're in good shape and they're strong cyclists. And the main concern was, like you say, a similar thing, really, not concerned about the distances, but more the consecutive riding days. So it gave me a lot of comfort that they were doing, they were out pretty much every day. This is the benefit of not having full-time jobs, eh? And yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, oh, so they were out, uh, talking from someone who goes on holiday for a living. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, you know, they are out regularly. So, you know, as soon as we set off, it was pretty much fine. But I was surprised at how far ahead Andrew was of most of the pack uh, most days. So it tended to be Andrew riding with either myself or Tom for some trips of the time. And then kind of everyone else riding behind as a group but it, it I think my favorite bit was when Tom got to the top of Kirkstein Pass and said uh well I was really struggling there we were going up the 16 percent gradient and Andrew was telling me to speed up so I don't <laughs> poor Tom was getting out as much as he could uh but Andrew was still chugging along the wall. so so you set the scene then so actually so it was was the Andrew in his hand cycle so who was the support crew so you were in the van and then you had um, how many people on 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 two wheeled transport, on so, two legged transport? 
there was uh, <laughs> transport. There was Tom, um, who's one of the Mellow Jersey ride leaders on the road. Um, I was on the road for some of it as well, thankfully, because um, we had an extra person, Tony, for a few days. And then there was six other cyclists from Team Patterson. Yes, it? yes, there was. Yeah, yeah. there was um, Gail um, and Graham. And then there was a chap called Simon. And then there was um, my uh, cousin's husband, Mike. And then we had two good friends of mine from here, uh, Paul and Bob. OK, so did they all can they all now claim to have done the job? Yes. <laughs> what do you mean claim to have done? They, they transported themselves from London. They did the whole thing. Bicycle. Yes, they did. They did the whole thing. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. yes. Wow, what a great enterprise. We can't um, about Jeff, though, as well. Oh, no, we can't even talk about Jeff. Jeff was our, our other support. Uh, um, he drove another van because we ended up taking two vans because a handbike um, are, well, they're quite large. Therefore, I had to have a spare handbike because just in case anything happened to it, you can't kind of get mm-hmm. parts off the shelf. So I did have a reserve handbike in another van, and Jeff actually ended up being... Um, um, he was well needed, really, wasn't he? Because he was. He, he was a gopher for, for us all, for all the six cyclists. So when Emma was doing the coffee stops and he was helping Emma set up and put everything away, and then if any of the cyclists needed something before we got to the hotel, off would go Jeff to a supermarket or a chemist or whatever and go get them the, them the supplies. He was great. He was, but we should probably mention that on his 50-metre bike ride, when everyone had ridden 900 miles, Jeff managed to fall off and end up with an ambulance being called. But um, <laughs> luckily, that was our only major incident on the, on the trip. Yes. Hmm. You're going to what, what, you're what, need to tell us more about that. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> we've just done a really long day in the saddle. In fact, it was our longest day, 102 miles, I think, was it? Yeah. 102 miles where we cycled from uh, Newton Moor to Dornoch. And Dornoch's a beautiful uh, coastal uh, town on the Scottish estuary, wasn't it? Mm. It was it was absolutely gorgeous. And you've got the Royal Dornoch Golf Club, which is next door to the hotel. And as we kind of pulled round uh, past the Royal Dornoch Golf Club and then crossed the frontage of the hotel, there was this ambulance in our way. And um, we're all cursing this ambulance. We had to kind of navigate ourselves around the car park and this ambulance. And um, anyway, we just pulled up and and that was it. And then Emma comes running up and I'll over to you now. (laughs) Well, I'd arrived kind of 20 minutes previously to find Jeff sat with his head wrapped in the most gigantic Mr. Bump bandage you've ever seen. And he'd basically taken his mountain bike out for... You know, a little ride because he'd seen a helicopter landing and fallen off the pavement and kind of hit the ground with his head. So uh, that was without the, uh, a crash helmet. Yeah, exactly. Here's the here's the moral of the story, people: wear helmets. Yes, um, they do they do prevent your head being mm. bumped. But yes, and he was luckily he was fine and he carried on driving the next day. Um, so all was good. But uh, but we were slightly concerned because he was kind of talking more rubbish not, than normal. Yes, yes, <laughs> he wasn't concussed, but it was but there was a lot of blood. Yes. Well, presumably, he also had to deal with the burden of shame. Um, <laughs> well, it, was, it was that bad that we didn't even mention it for a couple of days because he was so embarrassed about it. He really was. All of us had ridden 992 miles without a scratch. And their poor old uh, Jeff ridden 50 yards on a, on a mountain bike without a helmet. And he and he's scraped his legs, arms and, and his head, basically. 
I can only hope that he now has a lifelong nickname. <laughs> I think it's still quite raw. He hasn't even told his um, children yet, and he's hoping to get away with it. Oh, I hope they're listening. Calam- Calamity <laughs> Jeff, surely. Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. But no, he, he, he was invaluable on the whole trip, really. Yeah. Okay, so, so yes, Jeff, if you are listening, um, uh, we're so, sorry to hear that, but, uh, but you know, and, and his kids, Jeff, your dad was, was invaluable. So, um, yeah. and if you want to think of a nickname for him yourself, then um, feel free. However, uh, so starting off then, um, Andrew, if you could sort of um, give us a, 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 a summary of your sort of mental and physical, but mainly mental journey from sort of the start over the 13 days, um, because obviously you must have been starting off although reasonably confident, I would say, because you put in a fair amount of preparation, you still, you know, there was still that element of the unknown. Um, So would you say that you were starting off with um, a degree, any degree of misgiving or it was just a, a, tell us about your journey through the whole experience. No, I was absolutely shattered when I started, to be honest with you. And this was because um, unexpectedly um, we'd, we'd, the wonderful prep that we'd organised was thrown totally into toil, to, um, into turmoil because on the actual, we were taking the van down and all the bikes and everything on the Thursday. Thursday morning, we were going to leave Walshpool and travel all the way down to Camborne. Anyway, that didn't transpire because what happened was I was driving to Anglesey um, and I had a phone call from Good Morning Britain and they said, we would like you on the show. And I went, right, when? Thursday morning. And I went, um, you do know that I'm cycling on Friday morning from Land's End. Yes, but we want you on the show. Anyway, so I said, look, I'll have to think about this. So I put the phone down and my friend Paul was in the car and he said, Andrew, you can't say no to them. And I said, well, I can. But he said, no, you can't. <laughs> because he said, you know, the exposure and the charities that you're doing it for hopefully will will benefit out of it. So half an hour later, I phoned them back and said, right, I'll do it. So they said, right, can you come down on the Wednesday night? We'll put you up in the hotel. And then um, so I said, well, yes. So what happened was we then Wednesday spent all day packing the vans um, with all the bikes and everyone else's gear. Paul and I then jumped on the train at six o'clock at night and and uh, came down to London. We were then put up in a hotel in the centre of London. And then we were collected at five o'clock in the morning from the hotel to get to the GMB studios, which is a white city, um, which was like 20 minutes away uh, by taxi, even at that time of the morning. Um, and then onto the set. And we were on the set at like quarter, ten to seven in the morning. Um, so I had a 10 minute kind of interview or five minute interview um, on Good Morning Britain with Susanna Reid and Ben uh, Shepherd. Um, and then we went back to the hotel, which took like an hour at that time of morning, got our stuff, had breakfast, and then caught the train. In fact, which we missed because of the London traffic. And I ended up having to fork out for first class because I was so frustrated by this time. I just wanted to get down to Camborne. And that was a five and a half hour train journey down to Camborne where we got in at, what was it? Something like six o'clock at night. Six o'clock, yeah. six o'clock at night. Um, and then we went to meet everyone. Um, and then um, in the evening, I was um, 
uh, also faced with some very sad news about my brother, um, which meant that I didn't really sleep that well. Um, and we had to be up something like seven o'clock in the morning for breakfast. Therefore, by the time I actually started the cycle ride at nine o'clock, I mentally and physically, I was absolutely shattered because I had no sleep for two days. So that's how I started, guys. Um, so was that your lowest point mentally at the very start? Um, I would say yes, in a way, because I, I, all my wonderful preparation that I'd planned down in my head didn't actually materialise. Therefore, and everyone else was quite euphoric about the starting and everything, and I was just pleased to actually sit on a bike, to be honest with you. Yeah. I really was. You know, after everything that had happened over the last couple of days, I was just pleased. And once we cycled off, it was like, oh, let's get a bit of breathing space to myself here to get my mind sorted for the challenge ahead, really. No, I can, I can, you know, empathize sometimes. I mean, David and I can tell a story about our efforts to get to the, the 24 hour once I mentioned before. And it was once you could actually start, there was a degree of, Oh, amazing, amazing that we actually managed to get to the starting line, given all the tr- the troubles that we've got here. And then suddenly your your task becomes very simplistic, um, I think. And and you just have to, you know... Speak to re- yourself. Re- I mean, well, yes. Well, the, 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 the rider just has to repeat a series of repetitive motions over and over again. Um, and suddenly it, it lends a, a magnificent simplicity um, to life, at least until the kind of fatigue sets sets in. And, then, and obviously starting off in Cornwall. Is it Cornwall? I've heard someone said it's Cornwall when you start off in. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously there are many hills. And so what was your first real challenge where kind of you had to, you were struggling or at least being challenged physically? Was it quite early on? No, I wasn't. That's that's the point. Um, because we had a lovely ride out along the coast to start off with, and we passed um, Mont Michel, then the Mount of Michel, isn't it? Yeah. Or, or Michael's Mount, because you got the similar one in, in um, France, haven't you? Which is yeah, on the yeah. side. And we had a nice little rest there, photos, and and then you kind of just relaxed into it because it's quite a, it's not that challenging to there really. And then after that, we had a nice coffee stop where we saw Emma with a, sat on a massive teacup. Um, which was in this uh, little village where they had the fair there, you see, and they had um, <laughs> and they had all these kind of it was, it was like um, oh what's that um, oh Alice in Wonderland it was just like Alice in Wonderland massive teacups and we were all small and sitting on these huge cups and saucers um, and then we we cycled to Bodmin and it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be to be honest with you because obviously we'd done the hills here you know in Wales. Mm. No one's going to donate you money, Andrew. No, we're not. No. <laughs> You're basically making up. No, I know. Well, really nice well, that was the start of it. It wasn't, you know. But no. So I was just so relieved to get to get on the bike, to be honest with you. So I was cursing Tony for the last, like, half an hour of the ride into Bodmin because we'd done some real good hills. And then there was an absolute killer of a hill <laughs> just before Bodmin. And that was a right brute. But... You know, cycling down downhill into Bodmin afterwards, it was kind of ah, oh, you, you know, you still forget it about ten minutes later. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I can. I'm, well, I've never ridden. I've never ridden in Cornwall, but um, I have ridden in Devon. Um, and did you find that more challenging because the hills there are you know about them? We speculated when we spoke to you before before the challenge that some of them were so steep. I know you were trying to find the flatter the flattest yes. route. I, did you just go? Did you have to um, sacrifice some, uh, the shortest route to find the flattest route? 
Yeah, Tony did most of the route planning and spent many hours in front of the um, the laptop with a map, basically working out the most efficient way to do it. So whilst there was some aspects of the route that were more distance and, and less climbing, essentially if you're going that far distance from London to John and Grapes, there's going to be some climbing involved. So there was definitely um, bits of the, the country that we just couldn't miss the climbs at. So the Lake District, for example, it was the case of finding the easiest one which happened to be Kirkstone Pass which if you've ever ridden that is definitely not an easy ride. Right and what were your memories of that Andrew? Well the Kirkstone Pass? Yeah. Um, wonderful until the end. The, the first part of the, the morning uh, we rode, rode from uh, Garston to Windermere and it's an absolutely beautiful ride that is because you go across the kind of the estuary and you've got the kind of the wildlife and you've got the kind of the the lowlands sort of thing, and then all of a sudden the ride into Windermere becomes quite challenging in the sense that it's very rolling with some very steep ramps, but you can actually get some speed up on them, and, you know, because you're coming down, but they're very short, then you go into the next one, and you kind of, you know, it's a really good ride into Windermere, and we came zoom, um, Tom and I, came zooming into Windermere, we nearly missed the actual pub because we were absolutely enjoying ourselves so much. Um, and um, we had a wonderful lunch and then we were told we got the Kirkson Pass and it virtually starts as soon as you leave Windermere. And it was decided that um, Tom and I would kind of go ahead, uh, so to speak, because we were kind of quicker on the hills. And uh, that's what we did. And we went to the top and there's a car park at the top and... Um, it, it, I'm not saying it was a tough climb because you, in fact, we were at one point because because I think at the start they said, oh, it doesn't ramp any more than 15%. But there was an 18% in there. And even Tom was saying to me as we were going along, he said, this should only be 15%. On my thing, he said, 18%. I said, I can text that. I said, and of course, he, he also had a camera on the back of his bike uh, trying to film me kind of, being in pain and agony kind of going up this pass and hence the reason why I couldn't go ahead of his bike. That's why I said at one point, Tom, you'll have to cycle a bit quicker because, because my speed was a bit quick on a, on a certain ramp because on, on a hand bike, I've got to explain, if you can't get the crank round, then you're going to come to a stop. You know, you, 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 you can half crank it, but for only so long. If you cannot get the power into it and keep the momentum, you will just stall. And that was my problem on these real severe ramps. So, so I mean, we talked we talked a bit about the kind of te- technical aspects of your of your I, don't, I can't call it a bicycle your hand cycle. Yes. Um. Uh. You know, in our last interview, and obviously, um, did you have gears as such? Yes, there are gears on it. Um, you quickly found yourself in the lowest one and having not to. Necess- not necessarily, because to keep the the trouble is. The way I actually cycle, if I put it in the lowest one, then I'm rocking back and forth too much. Therefore, I'm using too much energy. I'm burning too much energy, and I'll get really tired quickly. Mm-hmm. Therefore, because I've got strength in the shoulders, therefore I found that if I can actually pull it through with, with my back and my shoulders, having a bit more, can I say, brawn required than actually a higher cadence, it was easier for me. I know that may sound totally the opposite way of, of cycling, but I but I did prefer to actually have the actual uh, the brute force than actually rocking backwards and forwards too too much. So was would you say that actually then was the most physically demanding part of the entire thirteen days? No, the the Kirsten Pass was hard 
It wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be, which I was quite relieved at. The trouble with the Kirkson Pass was coming down. Um, and that might sound slightly odd in the sense that, you know, everyone loves to descend. But when people descend, they normally have breaks, don't they? <laughs> and had you, had you forgotten to put brakes on your hands? Yes, I forgot to put brakes on my cart, so to speak. <laughs> and, uh, because obviously and at what point did you realise this omission? We just keep going up and up and up. The problem was, was that um, I knew that it was going to be steep ramps going down and also some tight corners. Therefore, I did say to all the others, whether, when they'd come up with a bit of a breather, you go ahead. And I'll come on later, you know, behind you, because I didn't want to kind of take anyone out, so to speak. And they descend far quicker than I do. That's what we did. Anyway, but as we were going down and the, you've got to be you've got to dab the brakes, as you well know, um, especially with disc brakes. I was dabbing them, but we but you kind of we had like 18 percent and like 20 percent going down. And of course, you, you really start to pick up speed. And I was dabbing. And then all of a sudden, I dabbed, and there was nothing there. And then, of course, you dab harder, and nothing there at all. And I ended up having no brakes. Why? What had happened? Was it just uh, it, they overheated? or they... It's overheated totally. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that Why? sounds alarming. I've never – I've cycled since I was, um, what, for 25 years, and I, that's never I – have, I have been out on my mountain bike, which – just didn't have any brakes to begin with and I as a, as a youth and I took to putting my foot down on the floor and I think I ended up wearing out the soles of my shoes but that was strictly something one does as a as an 18 year old and I don't recommend um however that experience of going down at speed on a on a, on a climb and suddenly realizing there's no brakes that must be utterly terrifying <laughs> yeah absolutely horrifying and terrifying yes. and yes yeah. did you so what happened? Well, it was terrifying at one point because um, the walls are quite close to the road. And again, being on a handbike, you can't see cars coming around the corners, um, which is that low down. Because I was travelling at such speed, Tom was beside me. And Tom was absolutely brilliant in all this because I shouted to Tom. I said, I've got no brakes, Tom. I've got no brakes. You know, and he said, right, Andrew, right, right, fine, fine. I've got you. I've got you. I'm with you. And I went, right, right. He said, just, just ride it out. And when we, you know, I said, ride it out, ride it out. Just, and of course, you're hurting now, right? You're not even looking at the speedo. And the trouble was, I, the only way I could negotiate these corners was going on the wrong side of the road. Now, it's Windermere is a busy tourist area. And my biggest fear was hitting or coming, meeting a car on the wrong side of the road. Mm -hmm. But Tom, was brilliant because he kept saying, all clear, all clear, go, you know, kind of, you're fine, you're fine, you know, a lot like that. And then he said, try the brake again. This was halfway down. So I tried it again and it, it, it did actually um, slow it slightly down, but not much. I said, Tom, there's a little bit, right, fine. So he just pulled up beside me and I don't know how to this day he did it, but he got off his bike and then he grabbed the rear wheel of the handbike and he pulled it round. As I was jamming it on as hard as I could, the brake. So he had had he got he'd gone ahead to, and got off he, his bike. No, he was he was cycling parallel to me, and then yeah. he just slightly ahead and jammed his brakes on at the same time, leant over and grabbed the rear wheel as I went by. 
Well, I, I don't know how he did it to this day. I really don't. Unbelievable. The bike control. Emma, were you witnessing this? or were uh, you? Yes, I was directly behind in the van, which, uh, I, to be honest, first of all, I didn't really know what was going on. And then I saw Tom uh, stop very abruptly and grab the wheel and then jumped out. and was like, what's happening? What's happening? And then they explained it. So, I mean, he, he has got incredible bike handling skills and obviously very experienced ride leader. So it was just lucky that he was there at the right place at the right time, thankfully. <laughs> And the back front rotor, you could fry an egg on it, couldn't you? Yes, it was very hot. And your face was the greyest. I think I saw you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was slightly worse. But the, I'm going to also explain that on the hand bike, on the one I've got, it's only got one brake on the front wheel. Okay, so so lear- a lesson, a learning for next time. Oh, yes. So, yeah, yeah. We're, 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 all, we're already in the process of modifying the brake system on it. Unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable bike handling skills from from Tom. What 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 a hero! I mean, I've seen Tom riding recently, and I can testify that he's a he's a fantastic bike handler. But that's that's above and beyond. So um, so that was the um most alarming moment. Yes. Um, what was your what what was the moment you felt most like? As much as as Emma's already testified that you didn't moan once and i think uh, when i had that conversation with emma it was uh, in the context of me marveling and and stating that you know if it was me i'd i'd be an absolute nightmare and, and griping all over the place was there any moment during the 13 days that you uh, a sort of moan was forming itself on your lips that you had to stifle no the, well i say that the, the only thing that i did get slightly frustrated over was in scotland we, we used a couple of cycle routes. One was uh, running parallel with the A9. And then all of a sudden we came to this kind of part of it. that there's steps on it. Steps on a cycle route. And, and we then had a slight discussion, Emma and I, about the fact that, Emma, I think I'm going to go along the A9. Andrew, you're not going to go along the A9. As the traffic was actually whizzing by, it was a Sunday, and there was so much traffic on the A9. I said, oh, I'm quite comfortable on the trunk road. It doesn't worry me. And Emma said, you're not going to get on the on the, on the trunk road, you see. And I said, well, there are steps, you know, on the cycle path. Anyway, look so, at So what happened? You you were just well, sort of poised at the bottom, looking up like a foiled well, Dalek. <laughs> Emma won the argument. No, the, 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 lucky, the lucky thing about all this was that there was a guy who just put his mountain bike back in the van. And the others had gone to him and said, look, how far do these steps go? You know, because you couldn't see the end of the steps, you see. Anyway, and, they, and he, this, this chap said, look, it's only this one flight of steps, so you've got to get down. Then after that, you're OK. And he was true, because what, what happened was I said to Emma, fine, I'm not going to go on the A9. <laughs> And we will go down the steps. So I got off. The lads carried my bike down the steps. And if there was only a sign that said at the top, at the bottom of the steps, there'll be a road, a B road, you know, and you'll be OK. And we were, weren't we? Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, but there was no signage. But you don't expect on a cycle route to find steps. No, you know? so c- where where was this specifically? This was in Scotland. Where, where was it? just before, was it after Pit Lockery or just before Pit Lockery? It was on that day. Yeah. Yeah. So it's when you're running kind of, we were going from Kin, no, um, uh, where were we were cycling from? It's all Mersey. Um, Newton Moor. No, we're finished in Newton Moor. Yes. Kinross so, to Newton. yeah, Kinross to Newton Moor. And of course, the A9 at that point is so busy. 
they don't want people on it. They've, they've, they've actually created quite a good cycle route in some places, mm. but in other parts of it, you could be cycled cross. It really is rough. You need a mountain bike, actually, not a road bike to, 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 <laughs> or, to a a bit, or, or a hand bike. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And then the other place where we encountered steps was in Inverness, where their, their cycle path had these really tight steps going up around a bend. Couldn't believe it. Everyone had to get off their bikes. Um, okay, so these are some useful learnings, Kinross and Inverness councils, if you're listening in. Uh, yes. take, take note. Um, yes. So, Emma, what was when they'd gone down the steps? Did you then have to, I'm assuming you didn't drive the van down the steps, you then had to take the detour? No, I was, actually, I was riding that day, actually. It was one of the, the lucky days where I got to get a ride in. So I was just so relieved that we didn't end up on the A9. Um, literally, to paint the picture, it's, it's a one lane each way road where there's not a break in the car for about 40 minutes when we were standing there with big lorries and Andrew was adamant that he wanted to go on this road. <laughs> I was like, we're going to have a real standoff here. Like, you can't go on that road. We're going to find it another way. It's all good. But um, no, and then the band obviously went on the main road from there. So it all so, worked in the so, end. I mean, so going up um, north through the highlands, um, there's not many roads for anyone who's driven up there. Is the A9 that one main road that goes up right through the spot? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that so pretty much all the traffic is going along that road then. Yes. Um, at that point, I'm guessing, Andrew, that you were obviously you'd felt that you nailed it at this point physically and you were just sort of counting down the last couple of days. Did you experience that phenomenon at any point where the closer you got to the end, you had um, mental struggles feeling rather than that you were almost there, that somehow you just didn't feel that you would complete it. I think this is familiar to anyone who's done, say, a marathon for the first time. Even if you're five kilometres from the end, you're, you're still thinking, oh, I'm never going to make it. Or did you feel that, no, it's done and dusted now and I, I can enjoy it? I never felt it was done and dusted, but I never had that feeling that I'm, I'm hitting a wall, I'd never do it. Um, I never kind of, I think Emma, will, I never, the, some of the other lads on the last night were kind of quite, quite euphoric because we've only got another 50 miles to go. And I always kind of, I don't get overexcited, so to speak. And I just kind of, well, yes, we've still got 50 miles to do. You know, anything can happen, we've still got 50 miles to, you know, to do the following morning. So I never got overexcited, but then again, I never kind of feared I wouldn't do it. And physically, I was absolutely fine. I was, I was absolutely amazed how well physically I was, really. Did you find that you got effectively stronger as you went on? I think I did, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I think what helped, Emma very kindly gave me a massage after every ride. And I must admit, that was a proper sports massage. And I'm sure that did help. It gave me a, that was more painful than actually cycling some days. <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> but um, that really does help because you don't, you, you go to bed with no sores, no aches, nothing. Uh, yes. Did you shave your arms for this purpose? Um, <laughs> um, no, I didn't shave my arms. I, I forgot all about that. But I, there were no complaints that they were rough. <laughs> After having to massage Paul's feet, I yes, think right. you, uh, your arms were anywhere near as bad. And you've got to remember, there's only half an arm anyway. Emma didn't have to do the full hog, so to speak. <laughs> Okay, okay. So, so essentially, talk us through then the last day, because you'd actually, as far as I remember you saying, it, this was a short, a shorter day, wasn't it? it you, was, you didn't have the same mileage on the last day. But I would say it's one of the toughest days, because 
We started off in light drizzle that ended up as absolutely lashing down with rain coming out at sidewards. And also the wind was really strong. And you're doing the coastal road from uh, Betty Hill to John O'Groats. And that is really undulating. And there's some steep climbs on that. You think that it's flat. Well, no coastal road's flat because you're kind of following the actual cliffs and whatever. Um, but the wind was coming from the south and you are travelling due west. So west to east. Therefore, the side winds on the top was really, really hard to manage. And it was buffeting the bike, something chronic. It really was. Therefore, to try and keep the bike on a straight course in the rain and the wind, that was really tough. Plus the climbing you had to do as well. So I found the last day the toughest from the weather conditions. Okay. Well, that's that's sort of nature's way of saying don't get complacent even at that point. But um, I mean, Emma did send me a video, I think, um, how far was there to go? I think there was 20 kilometres to go, yeah. Emma, that video you sent me. And, and you were going along at a fair old knock, Andrew. And at that point, obviously, everyone must have been in uh, amazingly high spirits. And, it, you know, I felt quite almost jealous not, not to be part of it at that point. Well, yes. Well, on that day, that last kind of 50 miles, for the first 25 miles of it, I kind of got ahead. And normally I'd have waited at the top of every climb for the others to actually join me and then continue again. But this time, because the weather was so appalling, I didn't. I just headed for the coffee stop, uh, which was was a bit out of character for me not to wait for the others. But that day was so rough. I didn't want to sit in the pouring rain. Because what you've got to appreciate, on a handbike, the actual seat that I'm sat on is a foam seat. And when it starts to rain, the actual hand, because you're getting the actual, the, the wheel that is directly in front of your face is actually all the spray is coming onto you directly. And then it kind of runs down your chest, basically, from your face down your chest. And then it pulls in your nether regions. And no matter how waterproof your waterproofs are, it seeps through. And then it then sits in the foam seat. Therefore, once you're wet during the day, you'll never get dry because you're always sat on wet, basically. Therefore, all I wanted to do was to get to Emma to actually put my big dry robe on to actually dry out, basically. And that's what I did. Well, that sounds like the, the worst thing you could do in that situation, because obviously once you get out of the, the wet seat, you've then got your sort of relieved, but then you've got to get back into a wet seat. Even though otherwise try, which sort of, and then it sounds like there was some sort of Chinese water torture, except for without the dripping, it was actually it, squelching. On a handbike, it is when it's raining, it is Japan, it is Chinese water torture. It really is. You just got, but then again, you know it's coming. Therefore, you, you're used to it. But to try and describe it to anyone else is it's hard, really. I don't know when it stopped raining. It could have stopped raining half an hour ago. Because, but because there's so much water on the roads, I still think it's raining. It did dry up for your run into John O'Groats, though, didn't it? It did, yes, to... yes. But I had a change of clothing then as well, didn't I? Yes. But did, did that feel like serendipity at that point, when it got dry, as you were on the running? I suppose, yes. I suppose it did. It was quite nice coming in. The last five miles, I haven't actually looked looked at the footage, but I had the uh, GoPro on my helmet, and I was going backwards and forwards, and 
and kind of doing a mini interview with everyone on the actual route, asking them how they enjoyed it, what was your highs, you know, you've done really well. And I went around every single person doing that as I was coming in. That's how I passed the loan, but like the last five, seven miles really, just just talking to, to the other guys who were, who were doing it. And they were tremendous. They really were. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, Emma, what were your emotions at this time? No, I'm getting all emotional again. I mean, it started for me two, about two days before the finish while I was watching um, Andrew's fundraising video in my hotel room. And I just thought, I said to Tony at this point, I was like, I cannot believe we're doing this. I cannot believe he's doing this. It's amazing. And then the last one in, it was, it was a real mix of emotions, really. There was obviously a big wave of, yes, they've made it. They've all survived. Um, it's all good. Um, but then really sad that it, that it was over really because there was, there was such an amazing feeling of us all going from A to B as a team. The fundraising, you know, aspect of it was incredible. You know, we checked the fundraising just before we came on this call and it's currently at over £21,000. And it was, it was, it was just kind of a bit of a come down afterwards, but to see them all rolling in and just knowing that they'd done this amazing journey together and that we'd help get them there safely was, was incredible, really amazing feeling. I mean, um, for anyone who obviously listens to this, um, obviously, Andrew, your fundraising page is still active. Yes, it is. So, it's uh, just giving team Paddison. OK, so and we'll be we'll be we'll put those details again on our Instagram page. So do please uh, show your support and, and also watch um, Andrew's video because it actually is very entertaining in itself and very well produced and uh, quite quite moving, actually. So. So uh, what what is next? Because obviously, Emma, you mentioned a sense of anti-climax there that I think we can all un- anticipate once we've kind of done something so so such a big deal and it's finally achieved. Um, so you must have had uh, a sort of couple of days to of sort of elation and relief, and then and then sort of well, what can I do next? Uh, yes, I must admit, the last couple of days I have been thinking about it because after the challenge, believe it or not, the following day. I had to drive from Inverness down to London, which was a 12-hour drive, because GMB, Good Morning Britain, wanted to be back on the TV on the Friday morning. Therefore, it didn't give me any chance to actually have a rest or anything like that. But they then decided to, to reschedule it for the Monday. So it was only really this week that I've been able to kind of sit down after sorting everything out last week and think, right, what am I going to do next? And I must admit, I want to do another challenge. In a way, I... This meant that I really, really enjoyed it. It was brilliant. The whole experience, the team trying to, you know, find my limitations, which I actually didn't find my limitation. Therefore, I'm quite chuffed about that, really. Therefore, yes, I would love to do another challenge. I'm sure we we can come up with some suggestions. Emma, have you had any thoughts? <laughs> well, I think Andrew's had a few thoughts of his own about something out of the UK next time. Um, well, there's always the race across America, Robert. Uh, Three thousand miles in twelve days. I knew you were going to say that because you want to do that, don't you? Yes. Um, uh, I think maybe Andrew, if we if we join forces, we can do it, and Emma can lead the crew um, and double up. But I'm not sure um, if I'd be able to keep up. So. Um, How many days is that? Oh, it's three thousand miles in twelve. The the cut off. There's an actual time limit, uh, and it's twelve days. Uh, so it rounds out. Uh, I think it's two. Yeah, it's 250 miles a day just to do it in right. the time limit. Yeah. But then that's been put into perspective, actually, recently by things like Mark Beaumont's round the world, because that round the world record used to be 
sort of the province of sort of cranks and and wasn't very well highly wasn't very highly regarded in terms of performance terms but ever since mark beaumont did it in i think he did it in eight under 80 days and he was doing close to 200 250 miles every day i i suppose that kind of achievement is you know undeniable in terms of the, the numbers and probably puts many people off you know trying to break that because you know why, why would you because you know i'm sure you can testify it's the mental challenge as much as anything oh absolutely um, yes i yeah. see andrew's brain ticking from here oh can i do <laughs> <laughs> maybe hmm. well it's something to think about isn't it we, we will come up with another challenge yes Rest assured that um, that uh, Lifepine Bars will be uh, will be right there reporting on it, if not if not involved in, in the field, as it were, ourselves. Um, so, chaps, that's been um, first of all, Andrew. Many congratulations. Um, that's been a fantastic achievement, and we've been really genuinely um, enthralled by it as it as it's as it was happening. And thank you again for coming on to to talk about it in such an entertaining way. Um, and well, thank you for asking us, it's very kind of you. Well, that was an amazing effort from Andrew and Emma. Thanks both um, for coming on the podcast. Yeah, it's got me suspiciously eyeing my bicycles in the corner of the room and wondering where they might take me next. <laughs> Who knows? Should we go straight on to another journey with Scott Nielsen, the cycling Dane? David and Graham caught up with him from a cafe in Lyon, hence the glamorous sound effects in the background as he told them about his journey to the Tour de France this year. Yeah, it was a really cool uh, four days. So I had the silly of the idea of cycling from London to Brussels, uh, not in four days, not in four days, but in one day. So literally yeah. 24 hours. Uh, I hadn't. Yeah, you guys live in London, right? Yeah, we do. Yeah, I hadn't really accounted for how much congestion there would be at three o'clock. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> So I started at Big Ben, and I didn't realize Big Ben was whatever, recon- getting under reconstruction. Yeah, yes. Yeah, uh, holding in police at the moment. Yeah, so I started there. I didn't realize how many traffic lights there are in London as well. That was just insane. Yeah, there was so many Londoners. We do that this was like, every day we go into work. <laughs> oh, that's just like every single stop. It would just, oh. So th- there was like a couple of guys trying to race with me for whatever reason. And I was just getting on the wheel because I was like, I have a long way to go, so you're doing all the work. <laughs> they were going like 27 miles an hour, which I was quite impressed by. It's pretty good. Yeah. Then I cycled uh, out of London. It got better. And then I did the stupid mistake of following Google Maps. So I ended coming out on these like mountain bike trails. And like they were so bad. There was rocks everywhere. And I have no idea how I didn't puncture Honestly, no idea, but I was going so slowly because it was trails. So I was so far behind time. So by the time I actually got to, and yeah, my back light broke as well. So that was just horrendous. Uh, I just managed to get on the ferry and I booked the ferry for two o'clock in the morning. So it was crazy that it took that long, but it was because of the trails and because of the congestion in London. So, so you're, effectively, yeah. you're effectively out on the, the, the sort of the, the, the Kent wilderness at, yeah. at 1 a.m. in the morning looking for looking to find your way to, uh, exactly. to, the, to the ferry yeah. crossing. So presumably at, at Dover. Where did you go across? Uh, oh, Dover. That was Dover. Yeah. Dover to uh, Dunkirk. Yeah, Dunkirk. 
And then I cycled from Dunkirk towards Ghent. And that, that was just lovely. Like I thought Ashford because I got into Ashford and I thought that was really nice because there was like really nice cycle lanes. And no, then when I got to Belgium, <laughs> it was just a whole nother level. I actually, yeah. I love cycling in Belgium. And how crazy is that as well? How far, look how far you have to go. You don't have to go very far at all. But it's a, it's a total transformation in cycling infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like there was just a massive uh, cycle path next to one of the big roads. And so I was just following that. I was just going straight for 90 miles. Wow. Um, it's, it's a reminder as well of just how important momentum is when you are, when you are effectively what you were doing, tour biking. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was so tired at one point. Uh, I stopped in... I think I stopped like 50 miles to go, no, 80 miles to go, and I just collapsed on this bench because I, had, I hadn't slept at all on the ferry. I couldn't, I just couldn't sleep. I just sat on a bench and then I closed my eyes for like three minutes, and that was that was the only sleep I got for 24 hours. Uh, that is the very definition of a power nap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then like I got into Brussels, my phone was dead, everything was dead, so I couldn't actually find out where. And like Brussels is huge, so it was like, oh shoot, where's my hotel? So I was trying to ask directions because I remember it was at the Grand Place, which is near where the tour actually started. Yeah. And then I was so tired at one point where I just collapsed. So I cra- I literally crashed, not crashed, but I was like, I stopped, and then my body just said no, and I just fell like fell on the pavement. But like. Belgian people are really nice so there was like four of them who helped me up and were like are you okay are you okay where do you need to go we'll help you and I was just like whoa oh, yeah wow. mate this yeah, is great but... this is this is a lovely little sort of dramatic um, your grand depart really <laughs> yeah uh, it gets better so my mum I met my mum there and then she she was a bit flamboyant like it's not flamboyant she just bought these two silly hats we had them uh, in the World Championships, but it's crazy. They they were like ten pounds each. They're like bell hat, uh, but anyways, it's like a bell hat. So, but it's the colours of the Danish flag. And then uh, I just wore like a Danish flag as like a cape. And like the amount of like people wanting to take photos, and it was just like silly at one point. They were just everyone was taking photos of us because we were wearing this. And then the Danish TV came up to us because we went over on the first stage to the Astana team bus. So we were just standing there, but they had like this weird thing that I've never seen before where they have a, like an actual barrier between you and the bus. So you can't actually go in there unless you're like invited or VIP or whatever. Like I've never seen that. They didn't have that at the Giro. They didn't have that in Tour of Yorkshire. Yeah. Have it at any, like you're not even the world championships. So it's like definitely separating you like more like football kind of thing. Yeah, uh, uh, and then we were just standing there. Danish radio, which is like BBC, came over, and they were like, "Oh, can we just interview you?" And we we're like, "Sure, why not?" And then TV2, which is ITV, came over as well, and I recognised the woman from the tour of Yorkshire because we were up there, and there was a, like a small Danish team who want to uh, get into the 2021 Tour de France because of um, it's starting in Denmark, so. They got a wild card to the Tour of Yorkshire, and they actually won the stage we were looking at. So that's why TV2 were there. So, yeah, I recognized the woman, and she was like, oh, shoot, it's, you, you know me. So it's like she interviewed, and then she was like, why are you here? And then I said that I cycled from London, and she was like, oh, this is interesting. You want to see Jakob Fulsang? I was like, yeah, well, I can see him now. So 
I mean, that's fine. But it would have been nice to just say hi to him. And then my mum just said, oh, my God, they're starting to turn into football players, these arrogant cyclists. And it's as if he heard her because he like and this he's like 20 meters away. Jakob Fulsang cycles over and says, hey, do you want a photo? And I was just like, oh, my God. And the camera's rolling as well. So, like, they're just getting, like, I don't know, PR gold. Not PR gold, but, like, um, TV gold for them. Yeah. It actually did get on the Danish TV news as well. So, like, the next day there were people going, like, oh, you're that guy that met Fulsang. Well, like, that, that was that would have been the shot that they were looking for, though, right? Yeah, exactly. So, a, a couple of a couple of Danish fans decked out with Danish flag, appropriate attire, appropriate hats on. Uh, that's that's yeah. all we need. That's the shot we're looking for. Yeah, and then like full sign coming over was like the cherry on top of the cake. What's he like? He's just completely how he is in Danish media. He's down to earth and just nice. Uh, and then like I was so sleep deprived at this point, so I wasn't sure if this was happening. My brain just switched on and said, okay, you need to get that, that 10 second video thing that I cycle all the way that I dreamed of getting. I'll get it now. So I got him to say, you're watching the cycling game. Brilliant. So um, that's going to be on every single video from now on. Michael Rasmussen walked past as well. He came and took a photo. And Is Rasmussen still a bit of a hero in Denmark? Uh, well, I looked up to him when I was younger, but uh, I, he's out. Like, it's not like Bjarne Ries where he's kind of forgiven. Yeah. He's yeah. Well, he he works on TV too now, so uh, I, I, I really I really like. He's got interesting things to say on social media. He's he quite forthright about, it and he, he talks a lot of sense. And he's um he's more open about talking about the amount of doping that he thinks is going on in the professional peloton than most people are. And I um yeah, yeah that's I, true. I quite like him. I guess I mean if he's dangerous and he's a hero and you have to let down, I, I totally get it. Give us a, a little bit about your about your channel um, and where we can find you. Okay, you can find me on the Cycling Dane, uh, which is one word. There's no spaces. I'm also obviously making the video of me cycling from London to Brussels, uh, yeah. from my perspective. Well, thanks so much for taking the time, mate. Really good to talk to you. Yeah, really good to talk to you too as well. Right, so it's time to draw this episode to a close. We will be back soon with another episode of Life Behind Bars, but if you miss us too much in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at Life Behind Bars Podcast or on Twitter at LBBpod. But until then, it's goodbye from them, and it's goodbye from me.